Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. And we're going to continue with our Year Revolution series. We are five weeks in. We break for Father's Day next week. And then we have our service, a new outpouring um, on the 13th of September. Really want to encourage you to begin to pray about that service and what God might do in your life. We're expectant that God is going to do things in our lives. He's not just going to, um, we're not just going to come and, and, and be in his presence, but actually he's going to do things. And it's what we're expectant for today as well. New Revolution, if you're new on the page, is a series that leaves us with hope um, unrecognisable with our previous reality, where we're so on fire for Jesus, we so know what we're about, that it has actually changed the reality of our lives. That's what we're believing for with this series. And we started with the I-God phenomenon, that uh, actually that there's a big obstacle to the you revolution at work in our lives, and it's the I-God phenomenon, iPhone, for those of you who know it, iTunes, that everything's positioned and taken to I at the moment. If you were in the 90s, like me, MySpace, everyone remember? Dial into MySpace. And dial up and then you'd go into MySpace. And, uh, and um, it was not that great. But uh, it's all about me, is what our generation says. But this is the you revolution of an I generation. With the seven words, we kick it off, not my will, but yours be done. Like Jesus prayed in the garden, no longer will I go my way, I'll go your way. And that's what the three people did in service last week. They said, I don't want to go my way anymore. I want to go your way, Jesus. Uh, We looked at the paradigm shift that goes from being all about me, myself and mine and becoming about God, his cause and the people that he loves. Looked at positioning and how we position our hearts and our character and our capacity for God, how we might be here to serve and steward the now, then be faithful in the now. And then last week was first things first, where we talked about putting God first in our fruits, in the, in the things that come from our lives, in our possessions, our assets, our resources, our finance, in our issues where we don't concern ourselves so much with the issues of me, but the issues of the kingdom. Relationships where we don't always point the finger at other people, but we look at ourselves first and first remove the log out of our own eye before we can see clearly to remove the speck out of the other person's eye. Don't nudge your spouse if you're sitting with them this morning. And in the sequence that there's an order of God, that there's there's God first and then looking after our household and then going to work, that Isaac first built an altar, pitched a tent and then dug a well. And finally, with our time, that every priority that we have should have a time prioritisation, but also allocation to it. And so first things first, and that heads us into this morning, the early church, the early church. So as a pastor, one of the things I hear constantly is, if only we're more like the early church. If we could just be more like the early church, the problems that we experience in this day and age in in the church, we wouldn't have them if we were just more like the early church. I just want to free you this morning because the early church was a hot mess. It had external forces and internal fissures that meant that it was a mess. And there's some components of that mess that we want to grab hold of and apply and, and bring into our church where everything's not so structured and streamlined and hierarchical and whatever it might look like, the church of the modern day era, but it might be a bit messy that God might mess that up a little bit. But then there's also parts of that mess that we do not want to replicate and we don't want to take on board and we want to be aware about it. But just so you know, the, the early church was not a utopian paradise where everyone held hands and sang Kumbaya as the sun set in the horizon, but instead were just this messy group of people trying to do what Jesus said 
and live with each other in the midst of their humanity, much like the Chapel Collective. Just a bunch of people who are a bit messy, just loving God and wanting to do what he says and living together in the midst of our humanity. And if you're wondering why church is so messy, that's why. It's okay. So we're looking at the issues that they had this morning. And one of the issues was the issue of race. Right at the start, the Hebraic and the Grecian Jews were, were, were kind of at war with each other in a little bit of a way because the Grecian Jews were being overlooked, the widows, in getting fed. The, the people who were handing out the food would give first to the Hebraic Jews and bypass the Grecian Jews. And so they actually um, had to address that. They got seven men who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and they put all these structures and systems in place to make it happen. No, no, those seven men just actually went and waited on tables. Those men who were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom waited on the tables for the widows. And that's how they fixed that racial tension. But the next racial tension that came was because the Jewish people... They had received the good news of Jesus Christ and it hadn't yet gone past them. And so when it did, when Peter had a vision, a really weird vision, a vision of these animals coming down on a tablecloth from heaven and and God saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I would never, I would never kill a rat or something with a cloven hoof or, or anything. I would never kill that and eat that. I would never kill a snake and eat it. That's disgusting. We're separate people, God. You've made us separate people. He'd never had a Frankfurt in his life where every unrecognisable meat is put together in a delicious little red package that you smother with sauce. He'd never eaten a Frankfurt. But Peter was like, I can't do that, God. And God's like, no, 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 you can, Peter. Things have changed. I'm changing it up. The message that you've received and has been given to the Jews is now going out further beyond you to the ends of the earth. And, uh, and Peter um, met up with a man and they, they prayed together. And, and this man who was a Gentile, not a Jew, he was there in his house and and even before he had a chance to pray the sinner's prayer, the, the, the Holy Spirit was manifest in that place. And, and Peter said, well, we may as well baptise you in water now. And all of a sudden, that was it. The message had gone further than just to the Gentiles. Well, what happened was when Peter went, and went to his house, he was in big trouble from the other Jews. They said, how dare you, Peter? You know the law. You cannot eat with these men. They are uncircumcised. Circumcision was actually a sign of being Jewish. And even people who were adults and were converted to Judaism, they would themselves be circumcised. And Peter's like, no, 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 this is what happened. And this is how the Holy Spirit showed up and, and God is on the move. And they were like, wow, that's incredible. Around the same time, a man called Paul fled out of Jerusalem. He'd been killing Christians as part of his old job, but he had a new job now and he decided to follow Jesus. And now he's preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. So the Jewish authorities wanted him dead. And so he fled 945.5 k's to Tarsus. If you take the M5 today, it's about 12 hours. Um, but he didn't have an M5. And so he fled to Tarsus and he was there for a little while and, and, and was preaching the gospel and then came back to a place called Antioch, about 237 k's back towards Jerusalem. And he was there and, and he and a man called Barnabas were preaching and revival was happening. The Bible says that at one point, the whole city came to hear him preach. And so people are making decisions to follow Jesus. People are getting healed. People who were previously demon-possessed were getting delivered. And there was restoration and transformation going on. And then and everyone's just joyful and exuberant about this new life that they're receiving and this new life that they're living. And then some men from Jerusalem come down and say, oh, wow, look at what's happening. You guys want to be Christians? Look at you all. Men, teenagers, um, boys. Okay, you all need to get circumcised. 
And there was the sound of crickets chirping in the distance and some tumbleweed rolled across the pulpit as they went, really? And Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 it's okay, guys. Don't worry, don't worry. This doesn't have to happen like that. We're going to be okay. Barnabas and I, said Paul, we'll go to Jerusalem and we'll talk to them about it. And so they get there and there's this huge council and, and, and Paul and Barnabas are talking about the miracles that took place. It's been awesome, guys, and everyone's joyful. But there were some men who were just waiting for them to draw breath so they could stand up and say, well, if they want to be saved, they need to be circumcised. And, like, oh. and so Peter told them about his vision and told them about how the Holy Spirit had showed up amongst the Gentiles so clearly. If the Holy Spirit's there, he's okay with the state that they're in. He doesn't want them to take up sharp rocks or, or knives at this point in time. He's okay with them. And, uh, and Peter told them all that and, and they said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And, and then Paul and Barnabas get up again, tell them that all the stories that are going on, this person got saved and this person got saved and the whole city came to hear us preach. So eventually James stands up and he says, you know what, let's write them a letter. Let's not make it difficult for these men to come to Christ. And he wrote this letter. He said, We've heard that some went out without, from us without our authorization, and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And the collective sigh of relief from Antioch could be heard 700 Ks away in Jerusalem. And they said, yes, we will continue to be Christians. You see, what was happening was that the Jewish people were in love with their law. They loved it. You might say, Brian, have you been gardening again? Yes, but that's irrelevant. Um, They loved their law. This was their national identity document. This was what made them who they were. This gift from God, Psalm chapter 1 verse says, that blessed is the man whose delight is in the law and on it he meditates day and night. They loved it. When they were invaded and taken off and carried off into slavery and exiled, they were like, our law has gone missing. We don't have it anymore. And when they retrieved it and they found it and Ezra read from the book of the law, they all were on their feet and rejoicing and on their face in praise toward God. They loved their law. So no wonder they were hesitant to let it go. No wonder they felt like they didn't want to just do away with it immediately. But Romans chapter 10 and 7 verse 10 says this, Paul speaking, he said, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. I found that the very commandment to bring life actually brought death. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6 says, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. And maybe you grew up in a legalistic environment where the rules and the structures and the tick the boxes were very much in play. You knew exactly what you had to do to be right with God in your mind. But I wonder if you felt the lack of life in that environment. I wonder if you looked around you and thought, yeah, everyone's able to conform to the outward appearance, but there doesn't seem to be any inward transformation going on. And you would testify that yes, in fact, the law brought death and legalism and rules and, and, and things like that. They, they have the propensity and the, the potential to bring death. The rich young ruler went to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what have I got to do to be saved? And Jesus started listing things off in the law that he knew this young man would know. And the rich young ruler 
said, all of these things I've kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus pulled out the sucker punch and he said, what about your heart? I want you to sell everything you have and come and follow me. Not because that's what, want, what Jesus wants everyone to do. No, because he saw that this young ruler whose heart was so taken with wealth that he could keep to an outside conformity, but his heart wasn't transformed on the inside. And the Bible says this man went away sad because the law does not have the power to give life. And yet we're hesitant to do away with the tick the boxes and the scorecards because we know exactly where we stand. If we can stick to a law, to a rule, to a scorecard, to a ladder, we know where we are on the ladder and we know where other people aren't and the rules and regulations will never bring life. But I don't think that's the modern church's problem. I don't think it's their adherence to rules and regulations that is bringing um, not the fruit that we wanna see, but in fact, it would be license that the modern church is in danger of. That it would be, that it's, as the old milk ad said, do what you wanna do, be what you wanna be, yeah. And again, no, just kidding. Um, That actually it's this thought of, I can do whatever I want. It's my truth. Okay, you've got your truth, but I've got my truth and there's no absolutes in life and I can interpret things however I want to. That doesn't bring life either. The law cannot bring life, but neither can license. Uh, I think that we're kind of where Jude was. You see, Jude was, he wrote the last book of the New Testament in time-wise, chronologically, apart from the writings of John. Um, The Gospel of John 1, 2, 3, John and Revelations were written after Jude, but all of the New Testament was written before Jude, apart from that. So the early church had been around for a fair while and things were starting to show and, 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 and the, the law had been gotten away with. But Jude's like, well, just because we're not under law anymore doesn't mean that there's no reckoning. It doesn't mean that there's no consequence to what's happening. And Jude refers to three things. He talks about people coming out of Egypt and he said, yes, they were delivered into freedom. And how good was it? But they perished in the desert because they didn't possess the freedom that God had brought them into. You can't just get delivered once for all time. You have to walk in the freedom that God has given you. And you know that if you struggle with something, like, God, I thought you freed me from this. But God's like, yes, but you need to possess that freedom day by day. I've given you the ability and the authority to possess that freedom. But the people of Israel didn't in the wilderness. And then Jude says, there's also the angels that that got cast out of heaven and, and, and now waiting for that final judgment to be locked up and put away. There is a reckoning. There is a judgment. You can't just do what you want with no consequence. And then he talks about the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and said, there was a reckoning. There was a judgment. You can't just do whatever you want without consequence. You might say, well, Brian, this reminds me of the preaching of my childhood. I remember, turn or burn. Are you going to load us up with sandwich boards and and, uh, megaphones and send us out to an open air in Peel Street? Yes, actually, I no, I'm not. But yeah, we understand that that's not what we, that's not what we want. We don't want to go to the place of law and, 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 and we're all about consequence and judgment and morality and, and, and I'm going to clean you up on the outside so I feel like you are good on the inside. That won't give life. But nor do we want to go to the place where we move beyond grace and into whatever we want. In this post-Christian, post-modern, existentialistic, nihilistic, hedonistic, I-God phenomenon era of the church, we need to make sure that actually we're not living in law, but nor are we living in license. It's not just whatever I want. 
And Jude chapter 16 says this, not chapter 16, verse 16. These men are grumblers. He's talking about people that have infiltrated the church. They're grumblers and they're fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. He's saying there's people that'll lead you down this track of do whatever you want and you don't wanna be around those people. They're not what God is calling you to. He's calling you to something much bigger. And he would just point us to James chapter one, verse 13 to 15. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But he, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has fully conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So just as the law with its rules and regulations ends in death because I realise that I can't stick to it no matter how hard I try, which is what, James, what Peter said to them. He said, why would we put on the Gentiles a yoke that we ourselves couldn't even bear? He said, it resulted in death for us, but neither should we just be dragged away and listen to our own desires and enticed by our desires and go and live however we want because in the end that will bring forth death as well. And maybe you're someone, maybe you're someone who even grew up in church and under a legalistic environment and you're like, well, that was awful. So then I went into this, but then that was awful as well. So if we don't live under law and we don't want to live under license, <clears throat> where does that land us? It lands us in a place called freedom. <laughs> Branch fell off my freedom tree. <laughs> First word is free. Last word is dumb. Freedom. Freedom. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. We land in liberty. We don't want to live under law. We don't want to live under license, but we land in liberty. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5 to finish this off on what liberty looks like. And I'm just going to go through the passage. It's a passage that's so rich and so deep, but I'm just going to pick out verses from it because we don't have time today. But verse 1 says this, So Christ has truly set us free, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are free. That is your new reality, regardless of your feelings or even your behaviour. He has made you free. And it says, now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't go back to your rules and regulations that made you feel like you were clean on the outside but did nothing to save or to transform your inside. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And we would say that someone fell from grace. Oh, look at her. She's a scarlet woman. She's fallen from grace. But God would say, no, you fall from grace when you try to save yourself by keeping rules and regulations rather than living in a dynamic relationship with me and my son. It says, for when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. There's nothing, there's no benefit in having the outside looking great. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. For you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. Everything comes in under that. 
So I say, it says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature does. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation to the law of Moses. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Now, if you've decided to follow Jesus, you'd probably be aware that you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, that the Holy Spirit comes to lead you and to guide you in your life completely. And you might look at a scripture like that and go, well, Bron, I don't feel love, patience, pine, I never feel kindness. Love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. I never feel those things. Or I only ever feel some of those things. And I certainly don't feel like my passions and desires have been nailed to the cross. I still feel them keenly. So does that mean that I don't have this Holy Spirit? No, that's not what that means. Verse 25 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So if we feel like we still have these desires and passions and, and whatnot, it doesn't mean that, that okay, we're, we're now under licence. No, 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 that's not the case. It simply means that we're maybe not cooperating with the Holy Spirit as much as we can. We're maybe not living in surrender as much as we can. This is the new reality where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we've simply got to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Will you fall out of step? Yes, you will. Is there grace for that? Yes, there is. But as we just continually surrender day by day, moment by moment, He brings us to the place that He wants to. Has anyone got a difficult relationship? Don't look at them. (laughs) Has anyone got a difficult relationship? Well, you know how hard it is to try and manufacture patience in that relationship. Like, (laughs) you guys are engaged. (laughs) It's way too soon. (laughs) COVID has made you wait for your marriage way too long. (laughs) Yes, patience. It's hard. It's difficult. And we need God's help. And that's why the way that he's planned it, the way that he's sorted it out is the best way possible. That in fact, he would say, I know you can't do this on your own. So just keep in step with my spirit and we can either cooperate with him or we can be conflicting with him. So how do we know? How do we know if we're living in license and we're just free and free to live our own life or we're living in freedom and we're no longer bound by the law? How do we get that right? Well, license, you can, you can do a test on it, a litmus test on it. If it's all about you and your rights and me, myself and mine, that's license. If you're insisting on your rights, that's license. If you're living in consideration of others, that is freedom. That is freedom. We would think that freedom is where I can be and do whoever I want, but no, freedom that God gives is that which considers other people. The only thing that counts, it says, is faith expressing itself through love, serving one another. So I'm going to finish with a scripture just before I continue the conversation. I'm going to finish with two scriptures. The first one's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. It says, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So if you thought your freedom was meaning that you can now, you're free to do whatever you like, I'm sorry. If you are in Him, you're now His slave. 
So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the King. A freedom actually brings itself in and under authority and says, okay, I can live in that because I'm free. I can make a choice to live in that because I'm free. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, I'm so grateful for scholars that have helped us recognise that actually um, there's a human element to this book. You know, I really do think that when I was younger and I was reading the Bible for the first time, that I think that I just thought it was all, you know, that, that almost someone went into a trance and just started like writing and, and like came to and like, oh my goodness, I've written so much. That's amazing. I really thought that like almost it was dropped out of heaven. I didn't take into account any of the human element that it's written by certain people to a specific audience and in a specific historical context. I'm so grateful for the scholars that have opened that up and opened our eyes to that. But church, I believe we stand on a precipice where we could so raise the human element of Scripture and so downplay the God element that actually we could take this however we want oh, well, that's not what I believe it says. What's true to me is not really that. And we can read into the Scripture what we want it to say. And we don't ever want to go to that place. We want to be those that believe that every word is God-breathed and is useful for correction, rebuking, exhorting and encouragement, that actually we can say, yep, no, this is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is living and active and it divides between the thoughts and intents of my own very heart. So let's not get to the place where we would say, Well, we elevate the human element so much that we can take or leave what's in here, but instead, let's not get to a place of license and let's not get to a place of law where we're like, well, well, yep, let's go to Leviticus and the instructions on discharges. Like, let's not go there, but let's understand that this is useful and and it's living and it's active for our lives and we can live in the freedom that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's continue the conversation now. And I'm going to pray. Lord, you want us to live in freedom. And I just thank you firstly for that, for the freedom that you give us. Lord, freedom from our desires, freedom from our sinful nature, freedom from those things that previously we thought nothing of, but we now know we're ending in death, that left us empty, that left us just feeling a bit yuck and a bit gross. Lord, we, 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 we thank You that You've freed us from all of that. And we pray to walk in Your freedom, that Lord, we would walk according to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Holy Spirit, would You guide us into all truth? Don't let us be those who just put things on the shelf that we don't wanna deal with, but let us be those who will do, Lord, the surrender and that we'll listen to Your voice in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me on the couch. Look at these great couches. Bronwyn, Hilary, Bunnell, it's good to have you. And um, thanks for that message. It really is, a, I think, a message for our time. Uh, I want to get straight to it with my own question, um, where, kind of where you wrapped, and that was around you talked about um, the Word of God and its place in our reality and, you know, my truth trumping the truth. Mm-hmm. So 
I wonder if you can talk to us because Paul changed some things up that were long in place, like circumcision. Yeah. Uh, but um, the conversation earlier in the previous service, can you talk a little bit about what is up for change yeah. and what is immovable? Yes, um, yes, certainly. Uh, just firstly, I guess the establishment of um, immovability, um, which is not popular in our day and age. Absolute truth is not a popular uh, concept. And I love what Ravi Zacharias says about, uh, he says, you know, when someone says, um, well, there is no truth. And he'd say, oh, there is no absolute truth. And he'd say, oh, well, do you know that? And they'll be like, yes, 100%, there is no absolute truth. He's like, you, you know that absolutely? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And so there can be no con- comment on whether or not there is absolute truth if there is no absolute truth. So there is absolute truth. It just makes sense. Um, so in terms of the Old Testament, and as we move into the New, there were three types of laws. There was the moral law, there was the ceremonial law, and there was the civil law. So the ceremonial law was all concerned with ritual purity, washing, um, um, you know, circumcision, all that kind of thing. And then there was the civil law, which moved with times, you know, there's instructions on dealing with mildew and how long to leave a house and whether to burn it or not. And there's those kind of laws that then, now we have Glen 20 that we don't need to adhere to anymore. And also... Um, um, or that kind of thing. So um, the moral laws don't shift. The moral laws don't shift. But the, the ceremonial laws about um, separation and purity, Christ has come and fulfilled those laws. So now we can live in the freedom of what Jesus has won for us. And then the civil laws change over time and are very historically um, relevant. Very good. We've got some questions coming through. I'm assuming the number's on the screen. So whether you're linking in with us or in the room, uh, or at another location, you can send through your question. We'll do our best to get to it in the few moments that we have. Uh, another question for you then. It's just around, let's talk liberty, um, licence and law. And what does law lived out from your experience? You've seen people live out in a law mentality. We mm. kind of came up in that kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, what does that look like in the end? what does license look like from your experience in the end? Mm. And then how does liberty look different? I think you, you mentioned it in scripture, but maybe just quickly contrast. And then I want to bring you to a question about others. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I guess the, um, in terms of law, you know, you think about the fact that, um, like, so I love food. Um, I, sorry, I just was thinking about food. Um, but I, I, I really do enjoy food. And, and so you think about someone who has to go on a diet for um, medical purposes. Uh, if they've been someone who's been incredibly disciplined growing up and they've, they've been really disciplined around healthy eating and stuff like that, when they then have to put that into place for medical purposes, they just find it that much easier to live that disciplined life then rather than I would, which would be like, well, how much chocolate can't I eat? Like, what, what are the direct guidelines? Like, where's the line there? And I think it's the same with the law. Someone who grows up under law is used to being, um, used to being disciplined. So there is that, that benefit that then they can live disciplined lives when um, they're changed by Jesus, but, but, but nothing necessarily has gone on on the inside. And that's what Jesus um, said to the Pharisees. You're concerned with cleaning the outside of the cup, but no one knows about the inside of the cup. It's not what goes into you that defiles someone, but what comes out of them. So it doesn't really change what's inside. That's what law can do. And that's why it leads to death. The reason that Paul was talking about it leading to death is because I can't stand up under it. One who's guilty of breaking even just one part of it is guilty of breaking the whole lot. And so then license, on the other hand, 
And, um, you know, I was talking to some people um, recently, actually um, Dan Urquhart, who emceed today, about licence, about how, you know, in the 60s, the freedom movement, and, and, you know, I'm all for never shaving again, but with everything else that went on with it, um, was that, um, sorry, that was a joke, kind of. Um, and, but the, that everyone lived in freedom, but it led them to all kinds of not the way that they wished that their life had gone. It broke, it, you know, there was the breakdown of the family unit and, and over the here was the law which kept the family unit together but inside it was all dysfunctional but over here then it's like anything goes and it's a free-for-all. So living in liberty is like I, I work out my commitment and my understanding of what God wants me to do in my life um, not as an obligation, not because it's whatever I want to do but because I love and care about others. Very good. Um, I heard someone say recently, I don't know where I heard it, that pain doesn't lead people to despair. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's pleasure, but yes. it's basically unrestrained pleasure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now, I don't think that's exclusively true in that pain does still lead people to despair. Yeah, it was a different word. Yeah, it wasn't despair. It was a, yeah. But, but, um, but pleasure does too. And yes. I, I thought about that in every it's instance great, where yes. people have just been completely indulged in their lives mm. How, and you could think of famous people, um, it leads ultimately to the, to the same place yeah. where, you know, and liberty as opposed to licence and law, they both lead to the same place, yeah. which is death, great illustration, but liberty obviously leads us somewhere else, yeah. which is very powerful. And both of the others are a con, aren't they? Yeah. Ultimately, they show up in our life. So, so thinking about liberty now, let's talk about it in the context of others this is the one, you know, that intrigues me. How do, what does liberty look like in the context of community, family, other people, etc.? Mm. Um, I love it. Rod um, came to the chapel service this morning and he was kind of like, like that just blew my mind about the ceremonial because actually Mike Kramer talked about it this morning, all these different things. And he said, but doesn't it all just come under loving one another? Like doesn't that just fix it? If you just love each other, then that, it all falls into place. And yeah, 100%, it does. Like loving one another means that everything else gets right-sized and, and hung in the right place. Um, uh, sorry, what was the question? Just about others. How do you live oh, that out, really? Yeah, okay. So just say, um, just say you love twisties and, uh, and, and, and I, just say I love twisties and you thought that anything that was created in a laboratory was evil um, because you were against science. Um, and, and so just so you know, Twisties are completely manufactured in a laboratory. There's no food in them whatsoever. That, that's all just constructed in a lab. And so just say, I wanted to eat twisties, and you're like, laboratory created anything is evil. Um, um, and and I, could, I could go into license. I could say, you're, you're a goose. Science is great. You can't be against science. Um, and, and then I said, um, I'm going to insist on my right, and I sat in front of you and I ate my twisties because you're being ridiculous. Well, actually, Liberty says that I should consider your conscience. If you don't like eating laboratory-created food, then I should stop eating twisties um, in front of you. I can eat twisties on my own time, but out of consideration for you, I shouldn't eat twisties. So there are two Bible passages. You're going to quote them for us. Uh, one is Romans, and I think the other one's in Corinthians. Corinthians, yeah. And um, they talk about how to live liberty, right? Yes. That... Uh, in Romans, it talks about if you feel there are, there are things that are disputable matters. So the Bible, and so what happens when people will say, oh, but I don't feel bound, oh, I feel like I'm free. Well, there are things that are not optional. There are things that are just truth. 
That's what Romans is saying. But then there are other things that they're really up to you. And so it says to those who feel law bound, like around the Sabbath, for example, or um, even about alcohol. So, so my mum, no alcohol, not ever. Um, no alcohol in her house. All of my brothers believe it's okay to have alcohol as a believer. And so when what the Bible says in a disputable matter like that, the Bible's clear on the other hand that what's not a disputable matter is to be drunk. The Bible's emphatic. You don't get drunk. That's not up for debate. That's not a question of conscience. That's a truth outlined from Scripture. But what is a disputable matter is whether you think it's okay to drink or not drink. And so for my mum, it was like no drink. So the Bible comes along and says, if your heart condemns you and you don't do it because of this is how you want a God, so my mum honoured God by not drinking, you should stand by that. And if your heart is not condemned, you should be free in that. And so for my brothers and I, when we go to our mother's house, she's passed away now, it was incumbent upon us to consider her conscience in a disputable matter and therefore not drink in her presence. But if we go to each other's houses, well, we're free because our conscience doesn't condemn us, right? Free as a bird. Drink mm. up. But not yeah, to get that's drunk. not what we're saying. No. So, <laughs> but really what we're saying is there are some things that are, but, but look, sorry, there are disputable matters. There are things that, are, that the Bible says are not up for dispute. Yeah. And um, the person who is under law should do what? And the person who feels at liberty should do what? Oh, okay. I went to the other scripture, but oh, go if going it. to that one, it, it says that if you're free in an area that, um, so just going back to the twisties, because you can insert whatever you want there. If I'm free in that area, I don't look down on Daz. No one because... should be free about twisties. <laughs> it's not a disputable matter. <laughs> not the blue ones, but everything else is fine. Yeah. Um, but the, um, if I look at you and look down on you like Daz is such a loser, isn't he? Because he doesn't, he's not free about twisties, that I can't look down on you. And it says to you who aren't free in that area that you can't judge me. So mm. if you take the alcohol area, um, you know, if we look at Dan, like, like my blood, gosh, um, <laughs> not really. He really needs to sort some things out just for the record. But um, if I say, um, well, um, he, he would say to me, like, I actually think it's okay to have a drink, but to say I didn't. He said, Bron, you, she's just such a teetotaler and she's back in the 1960s as a Christian who doesn't drink. Wow, he's not allowed to look down on me, but neither can I judge him. I can't say, Dan, he's loose as a goose and that's ridiculous mm. and he shouldn't be doing that. I, I'm not allowed, the Bible says, to judge him. So there's this dual dynamic of looking after ourselves, making sure our conscience is right before God. And Paul actually says, if it's going to hurt someone's conscience, I'll never eat meat again. Yeah, very good. Like... Like, that can't be from the Lord. Yeah. But, um, but he says he'll never eat yeah. meat again if yeah. he, yeah. Yeah, because the risk is in the age that we live that we insist, inf- insist on our, yeah. our liberty. Yes. And the Bible comes along and says, no, no, lay your liberty down. This is the beauty of Scripture and yeah. loving others as yourself. Definitely. Lay your liberty down for the conscience of others. It's so powerful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So powerful. Um, here's a question that came in. How, how do you know you're interpreting Scripture Accurately, and the person gives an example of um, saying, you know, I, I understood a certain scripture that way, this way, and then, you know, at a later stage in life, it became apparent to me that it meant something else. Welcome to the world of the Christian, right? That's yeah. what I would say. That's the beauty of scripture, yeah. is that it's a growing journey. Um, thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, you know, for our children, if they're into the Word of God, they could be very confused about. Just say, for example, um, I do not permit a woman to speak in church. 
So they could read that and go, Pastor Bron speaks all the time. Oh, clearly we don't believe this. We, we don't take this literally. And so it's really important that we learn to handle the Bible correctly. And, um, and, and, and so I just say, like, base answer is that the Bible, Jesus said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. I'll give you the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. So we can say, okay, Holy Spirit, teach me, guide me into all truth. Let me let go of my preconceptions. Let me let go of my own desire. Let me let go of what I want to read into this and let me um, really rely on you, Holy Spirit. And then, um, you know, I've found that then reading and doing a lot of reading and reading both sides, that then that um, something clicks, something drops. Now, for me, um, preaching as a woman was massive because I grew up thinking that you weren't allowed to. So I felt like I had all these gifts and abilities that I would obviously have to use in the world and not in the church because it wasn't okay for me to preach in church. Um, And so, you know, the potential could be that I went looking for the arguments that just supported my own theology to give me the freedom to be able to do it. Um, That would be, you know, that would would be a very possible um, thing. But I came to the place where after reading, you know, in him there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, that I was like, okay, God, I really think I'm reading it this way now. I believe that it's okay. Please continue to guide me into all truth. And I had this release of freedom about grace that if I get to heaven and God says, Bron, you got it wrong. I didn't want women to speak. They'd look at them. <laughs> How can they? Uh, but he'd be like, come in, come and enjoy my house forever. He, it's not something that he's going to keep me out of heaven on because I got that wrong in, in good conscience and in trying to understand the truth of God. So I, I would just say, yes, absolutely. Um, search out answers, seek out answers, read the historical context. Don't just go with the argument that you want, but, but look into it. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's, a dis, if it's a matter that's not salvation, if it's not Jesus died to save people and we can only put our trust in him in order to be accepted by the Father, then everything else is not as important as that. Very good. Philippians 3, Paul actually talks about it, doesn't he? He talks about, you know, there's some things we understand. If you haven't worked it out yet, um, it's okay. Just walk in the truth that you have. What yeah. a liberating thought yes. all on its own. Because yeah. the reality is that he in another place says, we see in a dim mirror um, as it relates to truth and God. And so, you know, in that time, a dim mirror probably looked very dim compared to what we have. Mm. And uh, it's like getting the Zoom filters we get to host, um, you know, meetings so that we all look 10 years younger. So it was a very dim mirror. And and Paul's completely at peace. Mm. So I'll give you a question as we get ready to wrap on this. Do you have all the truth? (laughs) And everybody, I like to ask this question because everybody says back to you, no, I don't. And my follow-up question to some of my friends is, well, why do you act like you do when we have a discussion about Scripture? Mm-hmm. None of us have all the truth. Yeah. We are currently walking in the truth that we have yeah. and we want to hold the rest loosely yeah. and just continue to be liberated and walking into it. You know, just like our 17-year-old daughter just got her P-plate, she's acting like she's got all the truth around driving. <laughs> but you and I who have licence licenses, we know that the truth that she currently has about driving is going to go through a series of journeys yes. until she comes to a better truth somewhere in the future. And it will never be perfected until she goes home to be with Jesus. Yeah. And so, Actually, one of the things is like right here, you know, the letter that James ended up writing to the new believers was don't eat meat offered to idols. 
And then we just read the scriptures where Paul's saying, if you want to eat meat offered to idols, just make sure you've got a good conscience about it. Yep. So even, even that progression changed across uh, the New Testament church. It's not saying that it's all up for grabs. It's just saying we can walk into more and more freedom as long as it's not us just going our licentious way. Well, you said at the start, that is not a moral shift. There's yes. moral, there's civic, and there's ceremonial. It's yeah. a ceremonial shift. And, yeah. and that distinction so... Very, very important. Bron's going to pray for us in a moment. I do just want to take one second to, next week is Father's Day, and then the week after we wrap this series called The You Revolution. And I want to point us all to it, because in week six, we're going to talk about the new outpouring. I think we've covered some incredibly powerful principles that require decisions from people Mm -hmm. that really set up their God-appointed future, that do revolutionise their lives. Um, But in week six... We're coming to the thing that is truly supernatural. Mm. And I want to encourage all of us, whether we're a long-term believer or whether it's our first weekend in church, online or on location, to really be present. If you're a believer, I pray, ask you to be prayerful as we come to the final week of this series and talk the new outpouring as we believe for God to do something significant in our lives that can only be done by Him. And with that, over to you for the final word and to pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for putting up with us. Thank you for bearing with us and our questions and our, our sometimes emphatic stances on things that you never made an emphatic stance on. Lord, help us to be as people and as a church, those who hold to truth. Lord, we, we don't want to be in error in, in any way. So, Lord, lead us into all truth, guide us into all truth. But, Lord, let us have a resounding sense of your love and grace over all that. Lord, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And we want to be people who are not known for their knowledge, but who are known for their love. We don't want to be known as those who are puffed up, but those who are building others up. And so, God, will you help us with that? And will you give us the grace to be those kinds of people? Help us not just to be right about Scripture, but to actually practice it and fulfill it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.